my sons, as your father, I feel I owe you a profound apology. I'm so sorry for the years of torment you've endured as fans of this team. I'm sorry for the dashed hopes as each season begins just like the last. I'm sorry for the heartbreak rendered by inconceivable endings and the persistent late season collapses. This latest embarrassment against the Bengals has forced me to acknowledge what can no longer be ignored. You've suffered at the hands of this team because I made you watch this team. I knew the team would struggle after the birth, the rebirth in 1999, but I now know I drastically underestimated the incompetence that was to come. I'm probably in no position to ask any favors since introducing you to this team whose only true ability is ruining Sunday afternoons. But if by some currently unimaginable circumstance the Browns make it to the Super Bowl within your lifetime, indulge me by watching, with or without me. Don't miss that opportunity, because history suggests it may never happen again. Love always, Dad. Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn. You just heard from our father, Steve Kuhn, who had some thoughtful words for us, which we really appreciated. Uh, joined, as always, is my oldest brother, Michael Kuhn. Hey, everybody. And Matthew Kuhn. Hey, guys. So, obviously, this week was a huge disappointment. So, as a quick recap... We suffered a 31-7 loss to the Bengals this week. It was a battle of attrition between these two winless teams, and quite frankly, the Browns didn't even put up a fight. We missed a ton of opportunities in blue coverages all day. It was a huge factor. Zane Gonzalez missed a 48-yard field goal that would have put us ahead in the first quarter, and an early interception by Deshaun Kaiser in the second quarter on a pass thrown to Kenny Britt that bounced off his hands in the red zone turned out to be big. Kaiser went 16-34 for 118 yards. And in another game full of drops, our receiving core looked awful. The Browns' pass defense made Andy Dalton look like a clear Hall of Famer, going 25-30 for for 386 yards and four touchdowns. So, this game was awful. We, unfortunately, flew all the way up to Cleveland just to visit – the factory of sadness in person and man did it produce this week (laughs) couldn't have been a whole lot sadder it's never been more efficient efficiency was at an all-time high i have to tell you i went in so happy it's it's seldom that we all get together me matthew michael and my dad to get to watch a browns game actually our uncle rob was there too which was really fun he's a browns fan and uh columbus native and so we all got together and high hopes high hopes and it just, it, our hopes were decimated. Uh, Michael, think, what what are your gut reactions? I have a lot of things I'd like to say, but I don't want to bring things down too, too negatively. I th- I had a bad feeling about this week from the very beginning. I tweeted from our account at the beginning of the week that it felt like there was a dark cloud forming over this team. And I felt like it was lifted when Miles Garrett hit the practice field. And then it just got all dashed whenever we found out he wasn't actually going to (laughs) play. I felt so bad the whole time. I was like a nervous wreck. My whole intestines were in knots the whole time. And it proved (laughs) to be well-founded. Has there ever been a team whose hopes for success are more pinned on a player who's never played in the NFL? 
Maybe not. Well, he's played four preseason games, and he was stellar, and we won all four of them. That's true. Undefeated with Miles Garrett on the field. I have to say we're 4-0 with Miles Garrett, and we're 0-4 without. If that's not an indicator of how much he means to this team, I don't know what is. <laughs> Another future Hall of Famer, Miles Garrett. Well, honestly, though, if you look at the field, it was so awful to be there. You watched it happening in front of your eyes, <laughs> and it was like we didn't do a thing when we got the ball off the bat. We give the ball to Cincinnati, and I think it was the second defensive play when Ogba gets in there and bats the ball away, and it's like, finally, something's going right for the Browns. We were there at the 30-yard line, got five yards, and then ran it with Crowell again, which is exactly what we all would have wanted them to do on second down and five. Lost five. Minus five yards. (laughs) Then an an incompletion by a, a poor effort play by Kenny Britt. That was that was the one on where he face. slipped. Yeah. I think he, he slipped, slipped coming out of his break. So I'll, clearly I'll give didn't him a care, break for that one. But he clearly didn't care and just gave up on it. And then we attempt the field goal and the rookie pushes it way to the left. Yeah, so we we had some discussions in the preseason about who we wanted to keep on our team. I me and Matthew were proponents of Zane Gonzalez keeping him on because we think he has the leg to be able to make long distance field goals. And that's invaluable if you can kick a field goal from 55, 65 yards. But if you don't make the 45 or 48 yarders, then, you know, it's all worthless. And to be clear, I was not exactly a huge fan of the unproven kicker who had not clearly beaten out his proven competition. Yeah, that was a compliment, Michael. I don't know how you didn't get that. That was what I was saying. Me and Matthew thought. Obviously I'm, implied that Michael I'm, did something good. That's about all you're going to get. All right, here's the thing. Just because he missed this kick this week, I don't think it was the wrong decision. Like, this is the first kick he's missed all season, I think, and it's a small sample size. He's not going to hit every single 48-yarder that he takes. Otherwise, he would be the best kicker in league history. So he's going to miss some. We just got to get back at it and hopefully give him more opportunities. Honestly, we haven't had much of an opportunity to kick many field goals. Yeah. My point, though, in the whole thing was is you watched it all happening. Like, from the beginning, it was seemed like we had a window open, and we couldn't take advantage of it from the get-go. And then it kind of was just all downhill from there. Uh, the Bengals got their first touchdown. We come back, tried to score, drove it right down there, and Kenny Britt did Kenny Britt things and just let it bounce off his freaking chest and gave it right away, and we literally did not have a drive of any consequence um, for the rest of the game with Kaiser in there. After that, yeah. I Honestly, Kenny Britt has been the most disappointing thing. It, it, I can't even believe how much money we're paying him to just screw our team over consistently week after week. It's his lack of effort, his complete apathy, his – I mean, he's b- far and above the most um, – experienced receiver on our team it's not even close but yet he doesn't look like it at all uh dropping balls it was he actually dropped that ball right after he had a good like 30 yard catch or something like that his long no it was like 26 26 yards right up the middle it was a good catch it was contested and i stood up jokingly and yelled to the fans behind us at the stadium like i've always loved kenny Britt, but really it's just it doesn't take (laughs) it doesn't take much for me to like you right like you catch one ball for 26 yards and i'm back on your team but then the very next play or the play after, I think there was one play in between, he lets he short arms the ball, bounces right off his hands and right into the defender's hands. Like, 
That's just he's not and attacking you, the ball. It seems like an effort problem to me. Matthew. Yeah, I completely. I was just about to say that you hit on it, but like, it seems like he just doesn't give a crap, and that's what makes me more mad than the fact that he's like letting balls slip through his hands. Like after that happens, did you see what he did after that play? He just laid face down on the ground and acted like a complete doofus. Yeah, like, I mean, it's just, one thing we have a we have a bunch of players who aren't very good. I mean, but at least they try and, yeah. and give give full effort. The Browns fans are are more than used to players who just aren't very good. Uh, but I mean, we talked about it before this week started. We we said we needed to avoid the red zone turnover. I mean, we've done that um, against Indianapolis. We had some turnovers deep in the zone. We were driving the ball. This game got out of hand so quick, even though we played with Cincinnati tit for tat for the first quarter and a half, and then it just got blown open and we had no chance. And the reason that happens is because we have to get away from the running game once we're down fourteen nothing. Yeah. Um, we've got to try to make something happen. And then you get down 20, 21 nothing before the half, and that just blows everything up, and we had no chance from then on. Like, if we have to throw the ball every single time coming out, we're done. Yeah, and I don't – here's the thing. If we don't throw that interception we score a touchdown, it's tied 7-7. And I don't want to be the guy that's constantly making excuses, like if this little thing happened, if this little thing happened, we could have won. But we – at the beginning of the game, when we have a chance to go up and lead – the game for the first time the entire season we have not led a second of a game in all four weeks it's embarrassing but we missed that field goal and then we respond after they score a touchdown we drive down the field and then we throw that interception but if we don't do that we at least put ourselves in a position to keep playing i have a new proposal i think whenever we get in the red zone we should just do quarterback sneaks until all four all four downs until we or maybe three downs and then we'll kick a field goal just don't even let an interception happen because yeah. if, if we can just get a field goal there, it even makes a difference. Maybe we'll get in the end zone. Maybe Kaiser get hurt, and then Hogan, the savior of all, will come in. <laughs> <laughs> well, the guy next to us certainly felt that way. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Browns fans, I, I love you so much, and yet the guy so who was sitting next to me in the stadium was wearing me out about Kaiser being the problem on this team, which honestly I can't. I have such a hard time even going there if you're watching the same product I am on the field and you think it's Deshaun Kaiser's fault. But from the eyeball test, I mean, everyone just blames the quarterback in, in the first couple of weeks. Every he, single time, yeah. He, he took those sacks, right? Like, But he, in, from my perspective, he was taking bad sacks. He was acting like a rookie. He's thrown these interceptions. These interceptions aren't his fault. They're the wide receiver's fault for not catching the ball. Half of them have bounced off wide receiver's hands. He's thrown some bad ones, too, like in the Steelers game to T.J. Watt. He just threw a bad pass into um, coverage in the flat. But, like, he is getting better. He only took one sack this week, which is huge. Like, he is getting rid of the ball more. I rewatched the game today, unfortunately. It was miserable. And <laughs> he was getting the ball out of his hands instead of taking the sacks. There was that one time where he botched the snap and then just fell on it in the backfield, which was – And that killed I, that drive. It killed it. But, but I he will panicked. say, too, when you rewatched – I. And I remember this whenever it was happening too, but he did miss some throws that were open. Yeah. Like on the sideline. He missed I some mean, throws on the sideline. He put them up and away too far. He just put a little bit too high. I can remember one with Ricardo Lewis. And there was back to back ones at the, uh, I think it was the end of the first half on a drive where Ricardo Lewis was open on the right sideline and he just overthrew it. Ricardo Lewis couldn't do anything to get it. And then the very next play was Rashard Higgins cutting to the other sideline on yeah. the left. And he put it a little bit in front of him. Higgins 
completely sold out for the catch and couldn't quite bring it in. But either one of those two balls are complete and we're driving and we can maybe get some points before halftime. That's actually, we kicked it to Cincinnati and that's when they got their third touchdown. So we're oh. moving the chains there and we're in a completely different situation. Who, who so knew while that... I don't think that our problems are Kaiser's, like there definitely is some areas where like you want to see some improvement. Yeah, he's and inconsistent the... for sure. Yeah. And speaking of that touchdown right before the half, when did the NFL change the rule that like face masks are legal within one minute of the end of any quarter? <laughs> the really like depleting face masks yeah. where, uh, you know, the, you just completely leave your feet. The right guard, it's always a screenplay. The right guard ran all the way downfield and blocked Jabril Peppers, who's our only person that had a chance to make the tackle. By clotheslining him, by grabbing his by, face mask. By grabbing his helmet from the top, underneath the top of his helmet and just ripping him to the ground. It was the most egregious. Yeah, it was like the 30-yard line, too. They call yeah. that play. They're, they're 45 yards out. They can't even kick a field goal, or they're right there at it. Like, so here's the thing. Jabril Preppers is not making that play. Like, he's getting blocked regardless, but it's still a penalty, and it needs to be called. And it, the fact that it wasn't was egregious. Yeah. No. And it was so egregious of a play that it's impossible to fathom that no one saw it. Like, that's how ridiculous it was whenever you watched the play. Especially because it was near the ball. Like, like the, like Gio Bernard was within five yards of that happening. It's not like the refs are all yes. watching the ball and this Peppers is somewhere off the, the ball. Last, Peppers was the last Browns defender that had a chance of making a play. He was the on only Gio person Bernard on that play. Only person the ref should have been watching. Honestly, like <laughs> it's the only person that matters besides the ball carrier. Yeah, it blows my mind. But on that play, that I, and I, sa- I said it right away. What is Greg Williams thinking? There's 30 seconds left in the half or something. We're under a minute. And Greg Williams, we blitzed seven or eight on that play um, and just got burned on the screen pass. Absolutely burned. I don't know why we're thinking that we need to make a huge play there. I would much rather go in 14 nothing at the half than even have a chance of giving up a huge play like we did. Let's talk about the defense since you brought up Greg Williams. How much of the blame for this game falls on Greg Williams and our defensive scheme? I don't know. This the scheme bothered me because we didn't we didn't blitz anybody and to, like this whole season you've seen how when teams bring pressure on Andy Dalton like he just folds like an origami swan like um, <laughs> he 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 just crumbles under the pressure and we we blitz I think on nineteen percent of the snaps yeah we uh, were we were the highest blitzing team through the first three weeks at like fifty percent of our snaps and then we dip down against Andy Dalton. So, like so I don't know if that's like a make a change so people don't know what you're doing or if it was personnel related, like without um, Jamie Collins and without, um, I can't imagine Danny Shelton had much to do with that because he's not going to be dropping back in coverage. But yeah, Michael, what's I, up? I told you guys this this morning. I think it's really just because they knew how terrible the Bengals offensive line is. Like they knew that they could get some pressure without having to send the house. Now, I'm not trying to justify why they did it or why they didn't, but, like, that's the most reasonable, you know, way for me to explain why Greg Williams didn't bring the pressure as much as Sure, week. but it proved to be untrue. Yeah, you think they would make a adjustment at halftime and we'd start blitzing. But... The thing that kills me is the second level of our defense. Like, our linebackers, our linebackers. have no I clearly have no idea what they're doing in coverage. Like, I don't know what the issue is. Like, you can play zone defense, and I'm not going to get mad. 
But if you leave gaping holes 10 and 15 yards down the line for the tight ends to just routinely Tight ends have killed us get like open. all four weeks. Yeah, no, they definitely have. I will say that I think a big part of that is that Jamie Collins was missed. He's that he's the best player on our defense. It's I don't think there's any question about that. And our backup linebacking core, like Burgess was in there some and just did not look good in pass coverage. And we let they basically just run and go routes right up the middle, straight past our linebackers. And then Jabril's so deep that they just find in there. There's there was that, that hole. There was that. Yeah. There's that hole there that they kept finding, and it's just go routes. They're just running right by our linebackers. The linebackers are flat-footed, and they're finding that space. And Andy Dalton, I mean, credit to him, he did a good job finding that. But there was that one play. It was about third and eighteen in the second quarter, where I think it was the second quarter. Maybe it was the third. I'm sorry, I'm fuzzy on it. But they, it was third and eighteen. We had them backed all the way up. We got a sack the play before. We were in good position, and they just throw it just a, a seam route right up the middle, and they get 19 yards, and that that's killer. You can't let teams convert that, or else you're going to lose games. Yeah, our, I thought our linebackers were pretty terrible. Um, I wonder if it wasn't that they were fatigued. I mean, you saw Alexander go off. I know Bello went off with an injury, too, and didn't return for the game, so that – when Jamie Collins already out, then we're no, down to three linebackers. But we've seen it every week. It's not like it was just this week. That's why we lost to the Ravens. It's the exact same situation we were seeing. No, we lost to the Ravens over the middle, killing us. We lost to the Ravens because Benjamin Watson's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like Tyler Croft. He looks yeah. like a pro bowler to me. Yeah, we should trade for that guy. Yeah, yeah. we should get him on our roster. We should get that we, Ben we, Watson guy. We need four tight ends. <laughs> three is not enough. Oh my god! In the starting rotation. Oh my gosh! I was I was just so frustrated at these like big chunk plays. I just felt like we couldn't get off the field. And to that point, Andy Dalton was 17 of 18 in the first half. Andy Dalton only missed one pass. The it entire a, first half. It was a screen half. pass that he missed. He just overthrew a screen pass. Yeah, I think he was throwing it away essentially. Yeah. Like the the play had gotten blown up. Um, yeah, we. We are doing teams favors, I think, with our with our defense at this point. We're making people look good. So I don't know if it's like we're prescribing things way too easily and they're watching the film and Greg Williams isn't like mixing it up nearly enough and they know exactly what we're doing, but something's got to change there. And I like was pretty excited about Greg Williams and it seems like the players have bought into like what yeah. he wants to do, but the results haven't been there on the field and – I can't tell you that I'm a big fan of Greg Williams at this point. There have been flashes. I think that I was very excited about Greg after the Pittsburgh game. I think we've taken a couple steps back. And it's like we just can't put the whole picture together on the defense. Like, actually, I will say our run defense has been fantastic throughout the entire season. Like It's been the best part of our team. It's not even, not even close. I mean, um, I'm going to look up the stats right here. We yeah. held them to under three yards per carry. I think it was 2.8 or 2.9 yards per carry. Which, yeah. is, which is what you have to do. I mean, the, the Bengals struggled to run the ball, so we need to be able to stop them. Yeah, the Bengals the only ran for 86 yards on 30 attempts. So, yeah, 2.9 yards per carry. I'll, I'll take that. Um, yep. And that's without Danny Shelton, who's our best run stopper. I mean, that really like is showing that that's definitely a strength of our D. And if you want to look at it positives, if you want to look at reasons to keep watching this season, like because Lord knows we're all thinking about stopping 
watching and not doing this podcast anymore because <laughs> I didn't want to talk about this game <laughs> today. Um, I'm ju- I'm very glad we're a day removed because yeah. it was very very depressing as we were walking out. It was so depressing. Do you remember we're walking out of the stadium going back to our hotel and where the Bengals fans were right there? And dad goes, why aren't you guys smiling? You're not even having a good time. And they were like, we just make you feel so bad. (laughs) It was like, I feel bad even cheering. It's so depressing. Like it's even infecting the teams that we're playing and their fans It's unreal. I've definitely absorbed that mentality. It's like uh, I'm playing a pity card so that like people will feel bad for me because I'm a Browns fan. It's not working though. No one does. They just make fun of me more, but Anyway, like I was saying, if we want to look at positives, we're going to look at, like, our rush defense. Last year, we were, like, top five for the worst rush defenses in the entire league. Like Top we, five for the worst rush defenses? Can yeah. you explain that to me? Yeah, so there's a there's – Were we a, top five or bottom five? No, so there's a metric, and this metric, <laughs> this metric is worst rush defenses in the league. It's very popular. You'll see it on Pro Football Focus, all those <laughs> – all those main sites that you go to for all your statistics. It's worst defenses in the league, and we're right up there last year with the worst. <laughs> Top five. Thank you for clarifying. Worst Thank rush you. defenses in the league. That. Yeah. Um, but this year, we're in the bottom for worst rush defenses in the league. <laughs> this is so backwards. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. We Last year, we had a bad defense on – or bad rush defense, and this year, we have a good one. So that's yeah, that's I'm encouraging, sorry. and that's exciting. Um, yeah, I think our linebackers have actually been great in run in run coverage and terrible in pass coverage. Yeah. But we, we even said we needed to address it at the draft. We needed to address our secondary. And it's just weird and just so strange how we've played week to week. It's always been a different thing that we've been burned in. Um, but anyway, overall, very depressing game. Um so can we talk about any other positives from yeah, this yeah. weekend? Is there anything else that we have to highlight before we move on? I loved being in Cleveland. The the football sucks, but man, the atmosphere there. The fans and are great. So we spent the Muni lot. Yes, yeah, the Muni lot is life changing. It is man, amazing. I, I want to be there right now. How many people did we talk to in the Muni lot? In like an hour a and a half, stickers. we were there. Thousands, easy. Yeah. Like, it was just, it was absurd. There's so many people there, and they were partying. Yeah. So, they have reinvigorated my my hope and optimism for the Browns. There are thousands of people there tailgating, having the time of their life. They know we're going to lose. They know they suck. I, don't, I bet most of them don't even go to the game. Why would you? But they're they're still there. They're still supporting they got um, their keeping Browns. the hope alive. They've got their Browns gear on. They've got their buses modified to look like bulldogs like or mastiffs sorry like they're they're looking good um yeah that was quite the experience if you ever do end up in cleveland make sure you hit up the muni lot before the game it was really really fun shout out to anybody listening to the podcast for the first time after uh getting to say hello to us and maybe uh grabbing a sticker off of our hands yeah totally i did make a few errant promises that i would give specific shout outs and i forgot <laughs> I've I've forgotten That's everyone. Amazing. I how just many, wanted them to listen, and it was a hollow promise, and I'm so sorry. I want to know how many people woke up the next day or like later in the afternoon with just this sticker in their pocket that they have no recollection of collecting. <laughs> <laughs> just wondering, where the hell did this come from? A solid 45%. Yeah. 
So if you found the podcast because there was a random sticker in your pocket that you don't remember. Hopefully you Googled it. You're my hero. Welcome to the pod. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was, that was definitely a positive. Uh, okay, so I want to also talk about – sorry, this might be – dipping back into the negatives because i mean come on they far outweigh the positives we have to talk on this 40 minute pod we have to talk at least 30 minutes about negatives but hogan versus kaiser hogan went in there and he scored a touchdown we didn't score a touchdown the entire game except for when hogan was throwing the ball and running our offense i i've heard from the stadium from everyone around me at the stadium the true browns fans that are there supporting week after week they're seeing the product on the field they see no touchdowns. They're disappointed. This is two times that Hogan's come in and immediately produced in the last two weeks. What What do you guys say to that? Why the not start Hogan? Say, the first thing I have to say is Hogan was playing the Bengals' second-team defense. So I don't know that you really can make any sort of argument that you're comparing apples to apples with Kaiser and Hogan just because of that fact. Yeah, and the game state dictates the kind of defense that they're even going to play. Even if it's the secondary personnel, they're, they're not – trying to sell out for stuff they don't care like they'll they'll trade seven points for five minutes off the clock just to get this game over um, plus ricardo lewis has never made a catch like that down the sideline his entire life until that one that he caught from hogan yeah oh, mark oh. mark i think you have the best explanation of why kevin hogan looks good you, you, <laughs> you said this to us during the game and it actually it explains our receivers and it explains the kevin hogan phenomenon all right so here's my theory our receivers are so bad so non-NFL caliber that they simply cannot catch a pass from the hands of Deshaun Kaiser. He's got too much. What does he have, Michael? Arm talent. Deshaun Kaiser has too much arm talent that our wide receivers can't (laughs) catch the ball from him because it's coming in too fast. But Hogan, on the other hand, Hogan does not have that arm talent. He muscles up to get the ball down the field every single time, so it just doesn't have as much zip on it, and it's a little bit easier for our soft receivers to catch. And that's yeah, that, they need it. They need to just like kind of set gently yeah. in their little bread basket. They Otherwise, need to be, it's just too much to handle. They need to be coddled. Their into delicate success. little bread basket. Oh, speaking of delicate little hands, <laughs> you're gonna say bread. Like basket. this is the complete opposite. <laughs> Did you see a picture of Odell Beckham's finger when he was catching that pass this weekend? He like no. dislocated his right index finger, and there's a picture of him catching the ball and the ball just like taking it at a 90 degree angle. And it's ridiculous. Ooh, it had crazy. to hurt like a mother. And apparently uh, on we... the, in the press conference, uh, Ben McAdoo addressed it and said, yeah, his finger's a little sore. <laughs> That's football. <laughs> Can we make this a regular bit every week where we talk about Odell Beckham? We talked about him taking a piss like a dog last Absolutely. week. That's fine. Odell Beckham maybe, is the epitome maybe, of mean... entertainment. I think that the Giants might be getting fed up with them. I, th- I could see him in a Browns uniform next year. That'd be pretty fantastic. Hey, we have the draft picks. The The Giants need a little something. They need a little yeah, boost. The, the Giants need a lot of something. But yeah. They're sitting with us at 0-4. All right. Well, let's right. let's start talking yeah. about some other some other football yeah, games is, that maybe this, are less depressing. This is this is too depressing. Um, so, as, as we're on the topic of the quarterback, though, I will say – a quarterback that did pretty well this week was Deshaun Watson. He absolutely dismantled the uh, Tennessee Titans, who some people were really hot on at the beginning of the season. And you know that the Browns fans are going to have this reaction that 
we should not be starting Deshaun Kaiser. We should not have traded for Deshaun or traded that pick and gotten uh, more picks. We should have gone ahead and just picked uh, Deshaun Watson. And when we had the chance, what would you guys respond to that? Not only should we expect to hear that, I've been hearing a resounding chorus of people complaining about the fact that we have Deshaun Kaiser and Deshaun Watson, not Deshaun Watson. Got the wrong Deshaun. And it's pretty, it's pretty <laughs> simple. Classic <in> mistake. My... <laughs> Classic <laughs> Deshaun mix-up. Mixed up on the draft board. We, we organized <laughs> them all by first name, and we drafted the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> we thought we had the good one. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> I do think that they're pronounced the exact same way. <laughs> it is, but they're spelled differently. Uh, that would be the so, most Browns mistake of all time. Just <laughs> a clerical error. Yeah, leads it's us like to years of sadness. It's like, do y'all remember about ten years ago when? The, at the draft and the Vikings let their time expire and a team like yeah. ran up and drafted a player before the Vikings got their pick in. Yeah, I think two teams picked before they yeah, got Yeah, it was something ridiculous. Inexcusable. That's hilarious. On the Kaiser versus Watson debate, it is as simple to me as looking at who Deshaun Watson has to throw to versus who Deshaun Kaiser has to throw to. If you put DeAndre Hopkins yes. and his set of talent around him um, in front of Deshaun Kaiser, I think you're going to see all kinds of success. Um, about half of Deshaun Kaiser's interceptions are not his fault. It's simply the receivers giving him away to the other the other team. And if you watch Deshaun Watson, I think that I, I'm very interested to see how teams adjust to him over the seasons because we see this a lot of times with rookie quarterbacks where there's not a whole lot of tape on them. And so it's hard to prepare and know exactly how to scheme around them. But I think over time, they're going to be forcing Deshaun Watson to throw deep because he doesn't have the he doesn't have the arm strength to get it to get it deep. Yeah. And I think they're going to be containing him a lot more in the pocket. And I'm I just think that his deficiencies are going to come out as the season goes along. But right now he's doing well and making good decisions with the talent around him. you got to give him credit. I'm not yeah. trying to say I like Deshaun Watson, but I don't think that he's demonstrably better than Kaiser um, in any way. I think he's just in a better environment. Yeah, he's got about the same amount of arm strength as Kevin Hogan. Um, Maybe no, actually, no, no, he definitively has less arm strength than Kevin Hogan because <laughs> since they started measuring <laughs> ball velocity at the NFL Combine, Deshaun Watson had the lowest ball velocity of any quarterback that they've ever measured. Which You're I right. think, Which I think is part of the reason why we weren't hot on him. Um and Hugh never wanted him, and that's part of the reason why we didn't pick him and we uh, moved back, which um, is my opinion, too, um, is what I, I think it was the right decision. Um, so Hugh, Hugh didn't like him. There's this, uh, you guys wanted to talk about, the La Confora article that says, once again, that Hugh is back on the hot seat. Or not back on the hot seat. He's just been on the hot seat because the front office and him have had multiple disagreements that – I think the quote was, is... Uh, I can read it for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. So this guy, he keeps dropping these articles the morning of the Sunday morning to try to drive wedges between the front office What's and the coaching deal? staff that purely don't exist. But hey, hey, we'll, we're going to bring this up. So 
the first line of this Jason Lock and Four article says, the fissures between the Browns personnel staff, led by general manager Sashi Brown and the coaching staff, are no secret around the league. And those fissures continue to take a toll on the organization. <laughs> like, what? Who? Where is he? What? How? Like, why? What is that? Honestly. Well, you addressed it. I don't know if you guys got no, a chance I didn't to actually that. listen to it's his just press BS. conference It pisses today. me off. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to Hugh's press conference today, but he was like, yep, nope, that pretty much isn't true at all. And it's hilarious <laughs> to me because nobody elsewhere in the media is reporting this. And he's saying, and his quote was, are no secret around the league. But guess what? No one else is talking about it. You're the only one that brings it up. He just must be in a secret little club where he's the only one who gets talked to. It's his own little echo chamber. So there was this there was this call, I guess, you know, after earlier this week. I mean, this really has been kind of a a media storyline in some way, shape or form is is Hugh Jackson on the hot seat? Like, should we be worried about him getting fired? And I think a lot of it kind of got stirred up earlier this week, like about a week ago where Hugh was asked about the talent on the team and if it was good enough to win. And he basically deferred and he said, well, I'm not the right guy to ask. You got to ask the people in the front office. And it was a little bit salty whenever he said it. Like he, he didn't say it with a big smile on his face. Like, Oh, you just got to ask them. He said it like, well, you should ask the front office. Yeah. And so I think that kind of got people stirred up a little bit, but, and then after that, Apparently, Jimmy Haslam put together a call with his whole scouting staff to make sure that everybody was on the same page and to make sure that there were no divisions going on within the ranks. And Lock and Four's article here was basically trying to say that that had a negative effect, that they basically all feel the writing on the wall and that he's going to blow it up and it's going to be a whole new regime before too long in Cleveland. Yeah, the transparency from the top down is really, is really the problem. Like that's that I love that about Jimmy. I love that about um, the way that we're running the organization now is that it seems like they're all communicating really well. Like it's not there isn't exactly what is being reported. There isn't this division, which is fantastic. Yeah, only in the world of sports would the boss talking to all of his employees and making sure they were on the same page be viewed as a negative. Yeah, like, like, like at any of our jobs, if, if that was happening, it would be like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what a boss is supposed to do. Like, at any of our jobs, make... we don't all have jobs. That's true. I'm currently unemployed. Thanks, bud. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you get fired. <laughs> uh, it might happen. If they listen to the pod, maybe. Um, uh... That's hilarious. Yeah, right, they're, well, they're, they're I, seeking I transparency. We can all call BS on Lock and Four's article. I really don't get the feeling that there's any sort of division within that front office, at least at this point. But I am concerned that if we're like sitting at zero and eight or no. something, yes, I want to talk that about all that. of this is going to continue. No, I'm concerned. I think that like this, obviously, these four games have been a huge disappointment. The Steelers game was not, but I don't think that this season is yet a failure. Like we knew we were going to suck this year, right? Like, we knew we weren't going to be good. We sucked last year. We added a bunch of rookies to our team and about nothing else. Like, we didn't think we were just going to jump on week one and just start 4-0. and Grandpa we, thought we were going to be 7-9. and He did. He did. And he's a wise man, and I respect him. You hear that, Grandpa? <laughs> um, 
but like we, we, we knew we were going to be bad. We knew we were going to be bad, but like, we just have to stay on the track that we were thinking in the off season of this is a rebuild. It's going to take process like a long time and it's worth sitting it out. We've been you. bad for so that? long. Yeah. S- stop texting the middle of the pod, Michael. <laughs> stay on task. Um, and so like, I think we're, we, if we had that perspective, we would all be fine with it. We are not good now, but we will get there. We'll get to the level of the Steelers. We'll get to the level of the Ravens, and we'll beat them year after year. Can't wait for it. They're going to be in the bottom of the house, in the doghouse, soon enough. Speaking of the other divisional opponents, Matthew, you watched the divisional game this week. Have a, a little recap for us. Yeah, this game This game started out slow. It was definitely like, looked like the Ravens were jet-lagged coming back from London. Um, the, the only difference early on in this game was a pair of field goals uh, by the Steelers, and that 6 to nothing scoreline stuck until nearly the end of the first half where the Steelers actually scored two touchdowns in three minutes. The first was a Le'Veon Bell touchdown from one yard out with three minutes and 24 seconds left, and then again an 11-yard pass from Roethlisberger to the rookie Juju Smith-Schuster. With just 38 seconds Say to that go. Three times fast. Juju Smith Schuster, Juju Smith Schuster. Yeah, it's tough. Fail. And the the second half started, and again it started out slow, and the Ravens started crawling back. They got a field goal, and then they finally breached the goal line on a 16 yard pass to Mike Wallace to make it nine to nine, 19 to nine, but they failed on the two point conversion attempt. Um, after that, the Steelers just dominated, and Le'Veon Bell um, proved that he was the best player on the field. Um, he scored again from one yard out with three minutes remaining to seal the 26-9 to victory for the Steelers. On the day, he finished with 35 carries for 144 yards and two touchdowns. Um, the Steelers then improved to 3-1 and on the season, and the Ravens dropped their second game in as many weeks to be at 500 at 2-2 two and, two, um, and second in the AFC North. 35 carries for Le'Veon Bell. I know, I can't even imagine running the ball 35 times. Like, that just blows my mind as a Browns fan. I mean, if you're up and you know that the Ravens' offense is so terrible, like, you might as well be pounding the rock. Yeah, and it's impressive. I'm kind of surprised that he was so successful against that Ravens' D. What was going on? Did they still not have Brandon Williams back? Um, I don't remember, actually, if Brandon Williams was back. I don't think he was back in there, but it was – I mean, they were just running to the edges, actually. Like, most of it, I mean, you you know how Le'Veon Bell, like, they kind of run that veer off the tackle, and he just kind of stands there and waits for his lineman to get out there, and then he squirts through. And even so when it patient. looks like there's nothing there, he is the, the first person at the front of the pile and somehow managed to get four yards. Um, and he broke off a couple runs, but ultimately it was just the persistence. I mean, they were getting a decent average, but it wasn't. It wasn't like three huge long runs and then a bunch of two-yarders. Um, it was just a good, efficient running game. I think the Steelers are getting ready to come on. I mean, they didn't have the passing game going very well today. they didn't today. need it. They didn't need it. They just stuck to the ball, ran the ball with Le'Veon Bell. I think he's back after missing all the preseason. He's mm-hmm. back in the groove. Um, and they're going to kind of be what we thought they were coming into the year. I'm pretty yeah. interested to see if they stay away from the passing game, kind of like they did in this game, if Antonio Brown just completely combusts. I saw what he did on the sideline. He, like, completely freaked out on the coaches because he was wide open on a play and he didn't get a look. Um, and they wide were winning the game. Man. Yeah, they were They were winning. It was when they were 19-9, to 9, I'm pretty sure. Um, and so things were going a little, a little rough. But 
he seemed to be in good spirits after the game when he was asked about it. I mean, maybe that's just because they won the game and it's a little easier to take. But um, he seems to acknowledge that that was kind of a, a, a blow-up. What is it about wide receivers? It's the only position that you so consistently see extreme selfishness. Just like Des Bryant, T.O., Ocho Cinco, they're all like cut from the same cloth. They only care about what they're doing and how many catches they get, how many times they get to touch the ball. Like completely different from a Joe Thomas, an offensive lineman. Like what what is it about that position? I think it's because it's the one position in football that you're completely reliant on other people for your production. Like you can get open as often as you want, but if you don't get the ball thrown to you, it's never going to matter. So that gets really, really frustrating. Like the running back is going to get the ball handed off to them, and then it's then it's their deal. Um, but the wide receiver, you can be out there running routes all day and never touch a ball. And, I mean, I'd get pretty ticked too. Yeah, you're doing good work, and you're not getting anything for it. It's understandable. Um, all right, so sounds like Pittsburgh's going to run away with the division yet again, and we're going to be sitting there at the bottom yet again. Nothing's changed. All these years go now? by. Nothing hey, ever it's, changes. it's a little early to say that. I mean, we, we played terrible against the Bengals, but we're only one game back. And the Bengals have looked pretty terrible, and the Ravens aren't aren't really anything to write home about that's true we need to improve if we're going to have a chance but it's not out of the question i did predict that we were going to beat the Bengals in the division and we all know how good i am at predicting games (laughs) (laughs) so so we'll we'll see how that turns out i actually talking about how good i am at predicting games i actually predicted that the Bengals were going to blow us out in this game (laughs) right now i want to say it's because i'm a genius but I'm going to level with you guys right now. It actually was a knee-jerk reaction through my frustration directly after the Indianapolis game. Um, so how are we sitting on those lines, Michael? We're sitting just fine, honestly. Um, I'm feeling pretty good about it because we're now even the score with Matthew. He had a rough week. Mark Woo. and I both got two victories. Matthew yeah. only had one. I'm just trying to make it interesting. If I, if I ran away with it, nobody would listen to this part. Um, well, if we were in Vegas, we'd all be losing money probably anyways, because, uh, Matthew and I are both just at 50% on our, on our bets and Mark's sitting pretty low there at only 25% of his picks. (laughs) That would be unlike this week at the casino in Cleveland where most of us walked away with a little money. Yep. Jack Casino did us a few favors. Um, we shouldn't have gone back. We should have just let (laughs) stuck with our winnings on Saturday. Lady, Lady luck is against me in all facets of my life uh, at the casino in these picks of games, I lost money and Michael and Matthew both made money. It was a huge bummer. So it's a whole new world. Um, Mark's the only one that actually picked against the Browns. And so that worked in his favor, um, oh, which might be a good move every single week until they prove that they're worthy of being picked. Um, but here we go for this week. So, the Thursday night game is New England at Tampa Bay, and currently New England is favored by four and a half points, even coming off of that loss. Matthew, what do you think about this one? New England has looked terrible, and it's because their defense can't stop anybody. I mean, they're the 32-ranked defense in the league um, on Football Outsiders. They're they're not wow. stopping anybody. They can score fine, I guess. I mean, they're missing like Edelman and some weapons. Um uh, but it's tough for them right now. I'm going to take Tampa Bay uh, plus the points at home. 
I, I don't see any even if New England wins this game I don't think they win it by a lot Mark all right so uh, because I'm statistically below where I should be if these games are all uh, even split 50 percent uh, chances of picking the right team because I'm so atrociously bad at this I'm going to employ a new strategy I should be doing better if I just flipped a coin every time and decided based on that. <laughs> so for the Tampa Bay New England game, if it lands on heads, I'm going to pick the favorite New England. If it lands on tails, I'm going to pick Tampa Bay. And it's tails. I'm going to agree with Matthew on this one. I definitely <laughs> think Tampa Bay is going to win. All right, Mark with his new strategy, picking Tampa Bay. We'll see how it I've works out for him. I've got New England. Um, I just think that I don't see the Patriots losing too many games in a row. Their coaching staff's too good, and they've proven it to me time and time again that they can find a way. So um, especially on a short week where the coaching comes into play a lot more than some other games, um, I like the Patriots. So that brings us to the Sunday night game, which is Kansas City visiting the Houston Texans and their darling quarterback, Deshaun Watson. I love that guy. I wish we had drafted him. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't really mean that, everyone. He's just trying to stir the pot. Um, Kansas City is favored by one and a half points. Uh, I'll go ahead and pick this one first. I just think kansas city from top to bottom is a better football team so one and a half points is fairly negligible visiting at houston i'm gonna have to stick with kansas city all right coin is flipping and it's tails i'm gonna have to go with houston clear choice <laughs> <laughs> easiest buy yeah i don't i i think this line is way too close i, I don't even think it's gonna be close i think kansas city's gonna beat them pretty handily so i'm gonna go mm -hmm. with kansas city hope i'm wrong Alrighty. i want that draft pick so that brings us to the jets and the browns do we want to go ahead and do a little uh, preview of what we saw from the jets in the last week or do we want to make our picks first yeah michael kick us off what, what should we expect from the jets this is going to inform my pick i think so i did get a chance to watch it and i happened to live in jacksonville so i was kind of intrigued to see it anyways because everyone was moaning and groaning when i got to the office this morning um and it really was a terrible game to watch. I mean, really, neither <laughs> neither team proved that they wanted to win this Worse game. Worse than the Browns game was to watch? Well, it was just like both teams like showing how terrible they actually are. <laughs> back and forth and back and forth. There was missed field goals and there was terrible plays. Let me explain. All right. On so, a, uh, hold on. On a scale of one to young Sheldon, how terrible was this, was this oh, to watch? Oh, no. I forgot to watch Young Sheldon for the pod this week. I was well, going to come in with a review for Young Sheldon this week. It's going to have to be next week, guys. I know you're on the edge of your seat. As your, Just, as your punishment, yeah, you need to I watch every episode of Young Sheldon before next week. I think there's only one, so I accept. I'm pretty sure there's three or four episodes. Anyways, let us know what you think. I will. Um... This game, though, was ridiculous. So it started out, Leonard Fournette had a nice pass, caught it in the flat. Actually, Leonard Fournette looked really good in the first quarter. They should have kept feeding him throughout the whole game, but they started to go away from it as the game went on. And then there was this ridiculous play. I don't know if anybody saw it, actually, in the, um, in the highlight package. But Bilal Powell went up the middle, and a linebacker or a safety came in really hot and went low. 
And so he left his feet and kind of leaped over the safety or the linebacker. And there was no contact made. And so he just leaped over him, In went to the ground, world, popped, yeah. and popped right up. And Tashawn Gibson was just kind of standing there, and Jalen Ramsey was just kind of standing there, and he just took off for the end zone while the Jaguars <laughs> were flat-footed, and it was a 75-yard touchdown run. It oh was the most ridiculous. It was the most ridiculous run I've ever seen. And that was really the only thing the Jets did on offense the entire first half. <laughs> they ended up with another field goal, and both teams were tied at 10 going into the half. And then in the third quarter, it was almost the exact same thing. They have this backup running back. His name is E.J. McGuire. I think he's a rookie. And he got open. There's a big hole. It opened on the right-hand side, and he was just gone. 69 yards for a touchdown. So they had these two massive runs that produced their only two touchdowns of the game. And that was the only offense that they were really generating. It was kind of classic Josh McCown. We all know what we've got with Josh McCown. Mm -hmm. He was back there. He was spending plenty of time. He got sacked five times in this game did he have the hustle factor that we saw in cleveland because that um, man he didn't tries. get helicoptered he never got helicoptered <laughs> at the goal line that didn't happen he's playing for the jets now not getting helicoptered by the jets so uh i guess that's working in his favor but it really was it was terrible i mean the jaguars had a really easy path to victory at the end of this game they were within in the five yard within the five yard line with a first down and they couldn't pound it in. They tried to throw it with Blake Bortles, and it was bad. Went into overtime, and they could not get out of each other's way. Literally, the game, <laughs> this sounds the game good for went us. all the way down. I think they both had three possessions in overtime. It was pathetic. Oh, yeah. And the reason the game was lost is Paul Puzlesny actually committed a personal foul on a kickoff return that put the Jets in field goal range, and the kicker actually buried it. And so... Honestly, the strength of the Jets appears to be their running game. Um, Josh McCown only threw for like 180 yards on the day. Okay. Actually, I'm looking at it now, 224. But their running game was built on the back of those two huge runs. And with ha- the strength of the Browns' defense so far, I really feel okay about um, our ability to defend them whenever they're on offense. It's just going to be a matter of whether our offense can actually put some drives together. So I think mm-hmm. it'll be it'll probably be a close game, but I don't see them scoring a whole lot of points unless we just gift them some points, like we did against the Bengals right before the half. Yes, exactly yeah, like so that. So let's not do that. Yeah, if Josh McCown beats us by throwing the ball, <laughs> I'm going to give up. Josh McCown I'd... always did have a lot of yardage for us, though. He always threw for a decent amount of yardage. We never won the game, but it's probably because we were coming from behind all the time. All right, he's, he's good for at least a few turnovers. I'm, I'm optimistic now that Michael's giving me the full recap. So what, yep. what does Vegas think, Michael? What's the lines at? So it's the Jets at Cleveland and the Browns miraculously are favored by two and a half points in this for game. the third week in a row when is the last time that happened hey you know what we all know that vegas is a lot smarter than all of those stupid talking heads on espn and tony grossi and mary Kay cabot so maybe vegas actually <laughs> realizes that the browns have talent and that we should be winning some games before long let's take the optimistic route and realize that the browns are better than all of these uh, analysts are uh, kind of spouting off about. All right, maybe. 
Yeah, sure. I don't know that. Sure. Mark's not a believer. Yeah, All right, Mark. I watched that game on Sunday. I don't believe it. All right, Mark. All right, what does the coin got, say? Oh, I dropped the coin. One second. Getting the coin. All right. Oh, and the Browns are going to win. Let's go. <laughs> that is so exciting. That Because the coin doesn't lie. And I'm very hype about that Browns win. We'll be talking about it next next Monday. All right, Matthew. All right, I have a, I have a hard time with this because coming out of this last week, I have no faith in the Browns whatsoever. I also have no faith in the Jets whatsoever. Um, I'm going to call that these teams are equally inept. It's going to be a tie, which means I'm going to have to take the Jets here uh, plus the points. <laughs> I think that's fair. Uh, so Matthew picks the Jets. I think that Hugh Jackson and the coaching staff turn it around. We've ne- everything we know about this team and everything I've seen over a large sample size tells me that Hugh Jackson is a good coach and knows how to scheme. The last two games have not proven that to be true, but I think he writes the ship. He knows what he's got in his team after a, a few weeks. We've got a little bit more talent coming back onto the field with Miles Garrett, hopefully Danny Shelton, hopefully Jamie Collins. I think it's enough to push us over the edge. I'm going to take the Browns. All righty. That's two for the Browns, one for the Jets. Matthew is a Jets fan now. <laughs> We're all very disappointed in Coward. Him. Yeah. <laughs> Quitter. All right. So that is going to wrap it up for our podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to see how my coin turned out against Michael and Matthew's picks. And we're all looking forward to that. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Fathers, And write us an email. Let us know what you think. Fathers at gmail.com. Be sure to comment on our podcast feed on iTunes. um, And let us know what you think of the pod and tell your friends we really need listeners let's go browns this is the week go browns we be the jets mm-hmm.